wonder if you've ever had a pity party. Anybody ever had a pity party? Do you even know what I'm talking about? You know, it's kind of a funny term. I mean, who would have a party of pity? But we all, I think, have those times where we feel sorry for ourselves. We all have those times where we feel like not much is right with the world and, oh, woe is me. And then we join the lessons, the examples of our forefathers. In the Old Testament, you have Psalms of lamentation. We have a whole book of lamentations. Lamentations is, or lamenting is talking about the stuff that is wrong. But none of us want to stay there. I wonder if you think about your latest pity party, was it really so bad? And I wonder as you think about that time of feeling sorry for yourself, how is it that you shook out of it? Remember, Peter is writing to, in our study of 1 Peter, he's writing to Christians who are scattered over what is modern-day Turkey. He's writing to Christians who are facing really tough times, persecution, because of their faith. It's unpopular. It's even dangerous to your physical life to be a Christian. I'm sure a lot of them were feeling sorry for themselves. But Peter today, in these verses we have, verses 10 through 12 of chapter 1, Peter today says, you forget, you must remember how privileged you are. They didn't feel very privileged, fearing for their life. Maybe you don't feel very privileged looking at your bank account. Maybe you don't feel very privileged looking at the x-rays that you recently had done or the blood results. Maybe you don't feel so privileged knowing that you fight with that one you love more than you speak nicely to them. I think today, friends, I want us all to think with Peter about privilege. Oftentimes, these verses, verses 10 through 12, they're kind of skipped over. If you read commentaries, you look in your study Bible, you read question or devotional material, I would guess that very seldom do you see the topic, 1 Peter 1, 10 through 12. A little trivia question for you. Where is the only place in the Bible where prophets and angels are mentioned in the same place? It's right here in these verses. But the way they read, it's kind of puzzling. It's kind of curious. I want to make sure you understand that the subject matter of these three verses is knowing Jesus Christ. The subject matter is knowing what it means to be born again. And the subject is knowing that we, we who are human, we who live in this age, we who have the capacity to give our life's priority to Jesus Christ, to accept him by faith as our Lord and Savior, we who have engaged in a relationship of knowing Christ, we have privilege that all those who have come before us, before the time of Christ, did not have. Knowing Christ was predicted by the prophets. The prophets here take up 95% of this subject material. The angels, another five. <clears throat> but it tells us of the work of the prophets. Now, what did prophets do? In the Old Testament, they proclaimed God's word. <clears throat> they foretold. 
And then they also foretold, which means they predicted the future. Here, Peter's concerned with that predictive work that they did. Now, these prophets, it's amazing to think that they were shooting rays of light into the darkness. They were, they were sending these rays of light off and not knowing where they would land, but convinced that they were true, they would send them off. They would write these things down. And do you know that there are over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament that were made of Jesus Christ, the coming Messiah, the one who would come as the Son of God to be the eternal Lamb of God that was slain for the sins of the world, the, the one who would enable us to come back to God and to be saved, that these prophets sent these rays of light off. And we found in the coming of Jesus, in the reading of the New Testament, in the work of non-biblical, non-religious historians, that all of these prophecies came to be true by accident, by coincidence, no. These 300 prophecies, these rays of light, point off into the future to point us to the light of the world, Jesus who came and who existed in history. That's amazing. Just some of the prophecies. In Isaiah seven fourteen, it says that he would be born of a virgin. In Micah 5, 2, it said he would be born in Bethlehem. In Genesis 49, 10, it said that he would be born into the tribe of Judah. In Isaiah 9, 1, that his ministry would begin in Galilee. In Isaiah 35, 5, and 6, that he would work miracles. Psalm 78, 2 says that he would teach in parables. Zechariah 9, 9, that he would enter into Jerusalem on a donkey. That he would be betrayed by a friend is what Psalm 41, 9 says. And that he would be sold for 30 pieces of silver, Zechariah eleven twelve. That he'd be accused by false witnesses, Psalm 35, 11. That he would be wounded and bruised, Isaiah 53, 5. That his hands and feet would be pierced, Psalm twenty two sixteen. That he would be crucified with thieves, Isaiah 53, 12. That his garments would be torn apart and lots cast for them, that's in Psalm twenty two eighteen. That his bones would not be broken, Psalm 34, 20. That his side would be pierced, Zechariah 12, 10. That he'd be buried in a rich man's tomb, Isaiah 53, 9. That he would rise from the dead, Psalm 16, 10. Do you know that those words were uttered anywhere from a 1,200 to 400 years before Jesus came? It's predicted by the prophets. The verses, verses 10 and 11 read like this. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was come to you they searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. <laughs> they sent off these rays of light. They were searching for the time and circumstances. Do you know what that tells us? That these prophets made these prophecies by the Spirit of God the spirit of Christ, they made these prophecies, but they didn't even understand them themselves. They were searching. They were trying to figure out, do you know that we don't understand everything that is true? Do you know that we don't understand everything about life? Yes, you know that, don't you? We often 
don't understand everything. We see through a glass dimly, does it tell us in 1 Corinthians 13. None of us are to see it all at one time, perhaps because we couldn't handle it. These prophets did not know, but they predicted the true words that came into being in the coming of Jesus. They didn't understand it all, but they were looking at the time and the circumstances. Each of those Old Testament prophecies, they, they were given to a people in a certain time and place. But it doesn't become clear till you see it in its whole. You know, do you like jigsaw puzzles? You do a jigsaw puzzle, and particularly when you get up over uh, 500 pieces. I mean, it looks, you get a piece, and you have no idea what it is. It's a bunch of colors, right? So you start with the outside, the, the corners, and the, the edges, and you, you try to put that together. That's kind of what these prophets were doing. They were given a bit of the puzzle to proclaim. And if they were faithful, they gave this truth from the Spirit. And it's only when you take all of the pieces and put them together that you can see it in whole. You can see it in truth. You can see it for what it meant to be. Peter here says that their predominant subject was that we would be told of the suffering and the glory of Christ. The suffering was necessary, as some of those prophecies I read to you. The sacrifice was necessary. So this grievous problem we have with our rebellion against God could be overcome. So that the punishment for that sin could be satisfied. Jesus had to suffer. But it is in his glorification and in our glorification that we find as we have relationship with Christ through this salvation that then we come into this place where we can be united with him and united with other believers, brothers and sisters in Christ to be the church. And you know an amazing thing about this passage that tells us in verse 12 that these prophets and their prophecies, it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you. But you. Remember, 1,200, 1,400 400 years, anywhere in between, between the prophecies and their fulfillment in Jesus Christ. And even over the 2,000 years of history since then, these prophets, with their jigsaw puzzles, shooting off their rays of light, their rays of truth, they were pointing to the light of the world that would become available. Your relationship with him would become achievable based on these prophecies from these age-old times. It's done for you. <laughs> How privileged we are that they knew that we would need help and they were faithful in their prediction. Not only is knowing Christ predicted by the prophets, it's preached by the apostles. Knowing Christ was preached by the apostles. This is the first part of verse 12. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. It, it changes. The, the subject matter changes. No longer he's talking about the prophets, but now he's talking about the apostles. He's talking about the preachers, the ministers that were preaching 
to them in this first century AD. And do you notice that they preached the word of truth? They preached it and they, they believed it and their secret was that they relied on the power of God, the spirit of God. It's amazing to me to understand that this little church with a few disciples after Jesus was resurrected began to come together and as I read before in the communion time they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and to prayer. They devoted themselves to uh, giving the Holy Spirit control of their lives to, to being surrendered to the Spirit and serving the Spirit. They devoted themselves to speaking the truth in the power of God. And the church grew. Today, over 2 billion people have some connection to Christianity. From a little ragtag group. It's amazing to think. Today, sometimes we're concerned too much with how we present the gospel, how we do church. Sometimes we'll have snafus with our projectors. We'll have snafus with our sound system. And sometimes things won't, all these things won't be right. But the secret of church growth then, the secret of church growth now, the secret of church growth in the future will be not in all the stuff that we use. It will be in the one whom we preach and the spirit in whom we preach in. You see, it is that secret that we can never lose sight of. It is that secret which I think oftentimes leads us to those pity parties that I was talking about. We forget this great resource that God has given to us. It is his Holy Spirit indwelling each of us who believe and have committed to him in baptism, who walk with him in righteousness. We have in us this spirit, and he gives us through this spirit and through his word the things to say, the attitude to have, the relationships to build. He gives it to us. The question is, Do we understand it? You see, that Christianity is not built on feeling. It's not built on experience. Sometimes we make it sound that way. Christianity is built on fact, on history. Christianity is built upon the predictions of the prophets of this Messiah to come and him coming in reality. That is what we preach. That is what we say. That is where we stand. Knowing Christ was predicted by the prophets. He was preached by the apostles. He was studied by the angels. Isn't that curious? He was studied by the angels. Look at the second part of verse 12. This is a, these little words, this little part of the verse has stumped a lot of folks. Even angels long to look into these things. There are two words, two ver- words for the verbs there that you need to understand. I wonder how many of you have been to the homecoming parade. It usually happens every October at UCM. Y'all been? Maybe if not that parade, you've been to other parades. Maybe you've been to the, some of the big ones. The Macy's Thanksgiving parade, the Rose Bowl parade. You know, one year my parents 
and, and um, his brother and his wife, they went all the way to California just to go to a parade. <laughs> and not happening. No. Uh, you know, I tell people never say always or never. Never would I go all the way to California just to see a parade. But you go to a parade, uh, you know, maybe you're one of those people that gets up early and goes two hours before everybody else and puts your chair down and sits there. That doesn't work with me. I already told you my priority for parades. I go right when it's supposed to start. And that, you, that can be a problem because you go when it's supposed to start and they're two and three and four and five deep. And even though I'm tall, inevitably I get beside, behind somebody taller or somebody with a big hat. Isn't that bad at the movie? Don't you want to just snatch people's hats off sometimes and throw them out? They, you get behind it and you can't see. So the, even angels long to look. It's That first verb is to, they stand on tiptoe to look. They, they want to see so much that they'll step up on something. And then the second verb is they, they'll stoop down to look. They want to get a closer view. They want to they see. Angels. Powerful, celestial, heavenly beings. They long to look into salvation. They long to look into knowing Christ. They long to look and to know what it means to be filled with grace. They long to know what it means to be forgiven. They long to know what it means to be set free. Angels would love to know what we can experience. <laughs> Is that not amazing to you? How gracious and good God is to us. Everybody knows Da Vinci's Last Supper. You've seen that painting of the Last Supper. I wonder if you've seen the painting by Tintoretto, the Italian Renaissance painter. It's not well known, but I, I encourage you to, to pull it up on the internet or look at it. In it, it shows the disciples at the Last Supper, and, and apparently Jesus has just said, this is my body and this is my, my blood shed for you. And it pictures this moment of, of sacred worship as they're together and, and they're, they're experiencing this, this divine moment. But what's striking about the painting is you can see up above them angels looking down and their faces are filled with wonder and curiosity and awe. I think maybe Tintoretto was thinking about 1 Peter 1, 12. This is what we need to know. This is what we need to understand. There are three take-home truths I want you to understand today. There are three true, as true as I can say it, about the privilege you have of knowing Jesus Christ. First is this. <clears throat> Jesus is the meaning of history. His story is the meaning of history. You think about it. We know of all the ancient empires. And we know they are no more. But we know of the kingdom of God. We know of the Christian kingdom. And not only is it not anymore, it is growing. And it will always be. 
Jesus is the meaning of history. Secondly, salvation is the purpose of history. Salvation, this story of figuring out how to fill this God-shaped hole in all of us. This quest for finding our purpose and our identity and our meaning. People have always tried to fill it with different things. With political power. With financial resources. With big houses and fancy means of transportation. But the only thing that satisfies, the only thing that fills that hole is a relationship with God through his son Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying here. This salvation that you have, even though you're facing persecution for it, even though your life here might be taken because of it, you have the greatest privilege that any human can ever have. You know who you are. You know that you're God's child. You know God loves you and wants you to be with him forever. Therefore, we're the most blessed people in history. We are therefore the most blessed people in history. Think that'll cure a pity party? It is true. The prophets did not understand what they spoke of. The angels could not experience it. In the Bible, there are good angels and bad angels, but there are no saved angels. They couldn't experience it, so they got on their tiptoes and they stooped down to try to understand it. But we each can know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And we can spend our days studying his word, praying, learning to love him and live with him, him speaking to us, him walking with us and talking with us and teaching us more and more about his kingdom. Air One's a station I listen to a good bit, 91.9 FM, Christian station. This week, uh, I turned it on and heard the story of Gary briefly. Gary called in and said, I am blind. I've been blind all my life. But I know that when I get to heaven, the first face that I see will be Jesus. How many of us take for granted our sight? The marvels that we can see every day. I was at a little place called Mexico Beach, Florida this week on vacation. Face to the west, saw the sunset every day. You know, the sun goes down every day. But I saw the sunset this week. You know, Luke 15, 10 says that every time somebody gives their life to Christ, the angels in heaven rejoice, yet we, we forget what's really important, don't we? Knowing Christ is the most important relationship, the most important thing that can ever happen to you in life, and yet we so often take it for granted. And we go through our day consumed with things that really don't matter. 
and forget to really see him, to see our privilege, to see our blessing. Father, as we think about these words today, I thank you, Father, for reminding us of the great privilege we have that the prophets, though they had difficult lives of their own, they were not serving themselves, they were serving us as they devoted themselves to you to be in your spokesman, as they let the Holy Spirit speak these rays of light into the future, into the darkness, to point to the light of the world. And, and I thank you that as great as the angels are with you, that, that they long to understand, to experience what we can have in our relationship with you. Father, today I pray if there's one or more of us who haven't made that decision, who haven't made that commitment, that we would do that today. I pray if, if we're still searching that, that we would ask questions to myself or to some other person that knows you. For us who are believers, help us not to take for granted this privilege of knowing you. Help us to, to see your blessings as manifold as they are. And Father, help us to have an attitude of sharing you, of sharing your salvation, of not keeping this privilege to ourselves, but, but being at work and sharing the salvation with others. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.